Good morning, church. Scripture reading this morning is 1 John 3, 7 through 9. Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. The one who does, who, the one who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who does what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. No one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in them. They cannot go on sinning because they have been born of God. This is God's word. You may be seated. We had a great trip to Israel, uh, Wayne and, and Jordan and myself, and uh, we're going to be sharing uh, about that trip on Sunday nights beginning uh, next week. Uh, but it feels good to be back in the USA. And uh, what we're going to do this morning is look at that, uh, that middle passage that Shane just read to us, that the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. And before we jump into that, uh, we're going to pray, and then we're going to see what the text has to say to us this morning on this subject. Let's bow our heads, join our hearts. Father, it's so good for us to be here this morning and in your presence and with each other, knowing that in this world where there are rough things and tough things that happen sometimes to us and sometimes to our loved one and sometimes to our strangers, but we know about it and we hurt with them, that we need your strength and your presence to, to bear it. And we are grateful, Father, for the ways that you teach us about this through your word that not only gives us hope and encourages us, but helps us to see what the core issue really is in this life. And so as we study, Father, what we're asking with all of our heart for you to do for us this morning is to give us eyes that see and ears that hear. And we pray this with all of our heart in the name of Jesus and all the church said. If you have been around our church for, for a while, you know that uh, one of the, the authors that writes about Christianity and helps us to understand uh, what Christian faith is all about is a fellow by the name of C.S. Lewis. Lewis uh, writes some of the densest, uh, some of the most um, uh, difficult to understand philosophical kinds of writings about Christianity that you would ever run across. And then there are times when he writes things that are very, very simple and easy to understand, and you kind of wonder, why doesn't he write like this all the time? And one of the books, uh, and it's a series of books, and I think most, especially if you're over the age of 40, uh, have probably read a couple of times, Chronicles of Narnia. And the first book is The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. And, and if you know the story, you know there's a point in the book where there is this winter revolution. And it's during this period of time that one of the human beings, a fellow by the name of Edmund, has been tricked by the White Witch, who is the satanic figure in the, in the story. He has been tricked into betraying his family. Now, he was deceived. It was done through magic, and it was done through uh, a certain kind of a food that he ate. But he is guilty of betraying his family, and so he belongs to the White Witch. Well, not long after that, there's a confrontation with Aslan, Aslan and the White Witch. Aslan is the Christ figure. And in this confrontation, the white witch says, the human creature is mine. His life is forfeit to me. His blood is my property. She owns the life of Edmund. Edmund is under her power. 
But Aslan is not going to allow that to stand. And Aslan uh, loses his life. And the white witch accepts his death, Aslan's death, as a ransom payment for Edmund. And Edmund is set free from the betrayal that he, he uh, perpetuated on his, on his family and, and is, is free from his sin. He is no longer under the power of, of the white witch. And the white witch, though, is, is joyful. She thinks that she has won this great victory over Aslan, the great, great ultimate enemy to her kingdom. But if you read the story, you know what happens. Aslan, though he is dead, is raised to life. And in so doing, he breaks the stone table, which is the source of the white witch's power. Now, without going into a whole lot of detail, you get what story from the Bible C.S. Lewis is retelling in a fictitious way. It's the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And how that sets us free from sin. But it's not only that. There, there's more to the story than just the death, burial, and resurrection and the salvation and forgiveness of our sin. This story also finds itself being couched in the language of Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 and 15 that says, Since the children have flesh and blood, talking about us, human beings, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is whom? The de- let's say it together, the devil. And free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. Now that's one place. Another place that you find this, and again, it's found all over the New Testament, is the beginning words of Galatians chapter 1. Beginning in verse 3, Paul writes, Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, And in speaking about the Lord Jesus Christ, he writes, who gave himself for our what? Sins. To what? Circle that word in your Bibles. To rescue us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. Now friends, there are people all over the world who right now, right now, the best thing that they could ever, ever hope to receive would be rescue, to receive rescue from the present evil age and and to find rescue from those oppressive spiritual powers that seem to hold the world captive. Think about what's happening in Europe, in Western Europe over the last several weeks. In Germany, at least five terrorist attacks in a four-week period. France has had her share, too, of terrorism that has been brought against uh, so many innocent, innocent citizens of that nation. In our own country, we we have race and, and police issues that have not been resolved or solved yet. We have political issues. We have economic issues. We have exploitation of the poor. We have exploitation of rich people. The world, when you read the papers and listen to the news and, and, and cast just even a, a half glance at what's happening in the media as it's being reported, even if it's being exaggerated, and I'm not trying to make a statement about journalism, but even if it's being exaggerated a little bit, there is enough going on in the world for us to realize that things are not the way they're supposed to be. And on top of that, and if that wasn't signed sign enough that our world is mired in evil, 
One of the biggest signs that our world is upside down is that for most of the people in our world today, in light of all of these events, it's God that is the problem. God is the one that is the problem and not those satanic, evil, oppressive forces that seem to hold the world captive. And it seems for many that, that Satan has been excised out of their way of thinking, or at least of their worldview, the way that they, they see and, and, and make sense of the world around them. That there is no longer talk about Satan or the devil or about evil the way that maybe we talked about it a generation ago. But that was not the way that the mind of Christ related to these things. When, when Jesus became a human being, he had an agenda. When Jesus, through the incarnation, became flesh and blood, he had an agenda. 1 John chapter 3, verse 8. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. Let that sink in. Word destroy, very interesting. When we think about destroy, when we think about you know the fight and the conflict for someone or something or, or you know, some, some enemy to be destroyed, we usually think of force versus like force. But the way that Christ destroyed the work of Satan was not the same force and strategy and power of Satan meeting the like forces from the kingdom of heaven. Listen to the way that, that Peter describes this when he's teaching Cornelius about the gospel in Acts chapter 10. In describing what it is that Jesus is doing in the world as he is destroying the work of the devil, he says, beginning in verse 37, you know what has happened throughout the province of Judea, beginning in Galilee, after the baptism that John preached, which was a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good. He went around doing good. It wasn't a, a, a put up your dukes kind of a fight. He went around. He counteracted the oppressive forces of the kingdom of hell with doing good. Doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. Do you recognize this face up on the screen? What movie is that? It's Braveheart. It's Mel Gibson as William Wallace, right? It's about how Scotland was fighting uh, you know, a couple of centuries ago against William, King William Longshanks of, of England trying to win their, ind their independence. And you'll remember that the, that the lords of, of Scotland were a little bit divided as to what to do and William Wallace, in a, in a kind of an important scene, not the climax, but an important scene of the movie, they ask him where he's going because they're lined up for battle and they're kind of suing for peace and they're trying to figure out what do we do to get that. William Wallace starts out towards the battle line. His men ask him, where are you going and what are you doing? And he says, I'm going to pick a fight with the English. Now, in essence, 
when Christ incarnated himself, when he, when he became fully human as we are human in order to destroy the works of the devil in us and in all of creation, he was coming to earth to pick a fight. In Genesis chapter 3, that's where it begins. The devil has successfully deceived Adam and Eve and sin sin enters into the world. You know the story. Uh, Everything is perfect. Everything is is God-ordained and God-created and God-ordered. And what happens is that this satanic figure, the serpent, shows up and begins to tell lies about the nature of God and the purposes of God and what it is that is in God's heart and God's intent for human beings. And for some reason or another, the human beings not seeing far enough into the heart of God believe that what the serpent is saying is true. Sin enters into the world. And at that point, Satan becomes the prince of the world. That's what Jesus calls him in John chapter 12, John chapter 14, and John chapter 16. Satan is the prince of the world intent on enslaving human beings. And not only that, at the end of the New Testament, Satan is described by Peter as a big and vicious cat. And he says in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. So Satan is this big cat looking, prowling, looking for people, human beings to devour. He is the prince that enslaves human beings, and instead of flourishing, they diminish on the planet. But that's not the end of the line for the human beings. Jesus, Galatians chapter 4 and verse 4, is born into the world into the fullness of time as a human being. It's an intervention is what it is. Now, some of you, I've, I've been a part of, of in 35 years of, of ministry, there have been some intervention times, and you know what an intervention is. Some of you have, have been a part of them as well. There's a loved one that is so wrapped up and so enslaved to an addiction that the only way, they're not going to get out on their own, right? They're not going to be able to think their way out. Their, <coughs> their willpower is not going to be strong enough to be able to get them out. What happens is there are a group of loved ones or a loved one who intervenes into their life and draws a line in the sand and says, you can't go any further like this. You've got to get help. We love you. We're here to help you. We're here to minister to you. We're here to strengthen you. We're here to encourage you, to stand beside you. We may not agree with what it is that's going on in your life or like what's going on in your life, but we love you and we're going to stand beside you. And even though the intent of the intervention is a changed life and it's all about love, you never have a successful intervention unless there's confrontation. It's always about the confrontation. It's about saying, your life is worth more than what it is that you're putting it through right now. This addiction that has wrapped its arms around you and stuck its fingers into your heart and your soul can no longer move forward in your life. We are standing here to help you stop it. And that's what happens when Christ is born into the world. He was born to stop the work of Satan in your life. But Satan, you know, not going anywhere. And when Jesus is, is born in Bethlehem, there is that, that old King Herod that, and working through those oppressive spiritual powers, tries to kill the infant that is being born fully human, being fully God at the same time in the incarnation. Later on, John 
the baptizer is there at the sort of the north end of the Dead Sea and the southern end of the Jordan River. And he's baptizing people. And, and Jesus shows up and he's baptized by John in the River Jordan. And at the end of that, there's this voice from heaven. It's the voice of God saying, this is my son and I love him and listen to him. And from that point on, the Spirit drives uh, Jesus into the wilderness for 40 days. And at the end of that 40 days, it's, it's, it's Satan showing up and tempting Jesus with the same lies that go all the way back to Genesis chapter 3. Do you believe that God has your best interest at heart? Can you trust God? Can you relate to God's love? And Christ is tempted in that wilderness by Satan, but Satan fails, and we read that Satan goes away, and he waits for an opportune time to attack again. A little bit after this, Christ begins his public ministry. Mark records it this way in verse 14. John the Baptist put in prison. Jesus goes into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God, and he says this. The line in the sand is being drawn. The time has now come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Now when he talks about the kingdom of God, he's talking about a rival kingdom that is coming into God's creation again. It is the rule of God. It is the reign of God in human heart that is going to challenge the prince of this world. Now again, the question is, it's a rivalry. What's it going to look like? Is it going to be force versus like force? Is it going to be the way that evil does it, being, being matched and imitated by the kingdom of God? In one of the most hope-filled Sabbaths that the people of Capernaum, and again, we're still in Mark chapter 1, that they have ever experienced, what they find Jesus doing is teaching them about the truth of God. In such a way that Mark tells us that when they heard this truth, and that truth penetrated all the way to their soul, to their heart, to their mind, that it, it filled them with such awe and amazement that they just couldn't contain themselves. The teaching was so rich. The truth was so winsome. But not only that, he exercised a demon out of a human being. And the people were so amazed that as they, they followed him to Peter's house and he healed Peter's mother-in-law, that by the end of Shabbat, at the end of the Sabbath, which was about nighttime on Saturday, but the evening on Saturday, the whole town of Capernaum shows up at his house and he spends the night teaching and healing. Well, from there, Jesus goes to the surrounding villages and he does the same thing. He's speaking the truth and he's defeating the evil spiritual forces that are pressing the people as he finds them. And toward the end of his ministry, he takes his disciples, his 12, the special 12, up into the region of Caesarea Philippi. It's up sort of in that corner where Syria and Jordan kind of border Israel today. And in that mountain, Mount Hermon, which is in the region of Caesarea Philippi, there is a temple to, to the, um, the, the god of the forest, Pan. And it's a frightful place. It's a cave that was bottomless. Nobody had been able to get to the bottom of it. It was a place where there were sacrifices, sometimes human sacrifices. One of the headwaters to the Jordan River is right there, and they would sacrifice people, and they would throw them into that pit inside of that cave, thinking that they were sacrificing to Pan. And then they would go out to the headwaters, and if there was blood in the water, it had not been accepted, so they'd repeat. People in that area thought that that was the gateway to hell. And it's there that 
that the confession that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, is made by Peter when Jesus asks, well, who do you think that I am? The same question that is implied in what Satan was saying to Adam and Eve in the garden, who do you think God is? And Peter makes that confession, and you know the rest of the story. Jesus says, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah. It's on that confession that I will build my church. And the gates, and he's standing in the shadow of what people thought were the gates of hell. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Later on, Satan will enter the heart of Judas. And there's a betrayal and an arrest and condemnation and a crucifixion. And he is dead and he is buried, but Christ resurrects on the third day. And Satan's hold on people is broken. And in the future, we read in Revelation chapter 20, the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Jesus came to destroy the work of the devil. Two things and we're done. One of the things that we have to remember, church, is that our fight is with Satan. And this is where we're often confused. Ephesians chapter 6, Paul writes at the end of that, that long letter, he says, Our struggle is not against flesh and blood. The real fight is not with other human beings. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Jesus was not at war with people. He was at war on behalf of people. And that's why he intervened and spoke the truth into their heart. That's why he intervened and became a human being and, 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 and blasted the demons out of people. It's why he intervened. It was in order to fight and defeat those oppressive spiritual forces that enslave human beings. Jesus' ministry was the defeat of Satan in the lives of human beings, his creatures. And we don't fully understand what it is that Christ, that Christ worked and did those three years of ministry that are recorded for us in the gospel if we remove Satan from the story. There is more to social justice than doing good for the sake of good. There must be a confrontation with the processes of idolatry and of the idols that work people over thoroughly all their lives. And Jesus did this by doing good to them and by teaching them and by changing their hearts. And helping them to not be deceived, but to see God rightly once again in all of his creation, but primarily in Christ himself. So the first thing we remember is that our fight is with Satan. Our fight is with Satan. And then number two, our fight is for the souls of humans. Our fight is for the souls of humans. Now this might be multiple fronts. But the enemy is the same. 
And, and one of the ways that we get confused is when we, we somehow, some way believe that the grace that is making us whole and making us wholesome is not something that can be effective in somebody else's life. The question you need to ponder at this point is, do you believe that there is a human being that is outside the possibility of God's grace and God's love changing them? That love that changed you. You know, there obviously is that sin of grieving the Spirit. We don't have time to go into that, but in, in, in sort of a, a cliff note, a spark note, or a mark note, uh, basically the, the grieving of the Holy Spirit is, is denying the, the intervention and the intervening of God's kingdom in the world and recognizing God's kingdom in the world and recognizing the Christ for what He has done. It's denying it. And with that said, back in 1994, there was a young man that was killed in prison in Ohio. His name was Jeffrey Dahmer. He was, he was guilty of, 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 of brutally murdering 17 people. He was caught. He was convicted. He was a monster of, of proportions of which many people had never experienced in their life. He was sentenced to life in prison. And while he's in prison, there's this, this little old dude that had graduated from Oklahoma Christian University, was a minister for the Churches of Christ in that area, a fellow by the name of Roy Ratcliffe, who sat down and began to just talk to this guy who was considered a monster. And through space and time and through study and through questioning and conversation, somehow the grace and the love of God penetrated that heart of Jeffrey Dahmer. And he came to see that, that even for somebody like him, even for somebody like him, there could be the love of God. And in a whirlpool, a cold whirlpool in that prison, Roy baptized Jeffrey. for the remission of his sins and to become a new person. Now there's a side of us that says, you know what, that's probably just hedging bets. Maybe he's just taking out an insurance policy. But there's another part of that that says, maybe, maybe that was the power of Christ defeating the work of Satan in somebody's life. And at some point, we have to stop being deceived at the power of that message of the gospel and how deeply it can penetrate people's lives. And instead of pushing them away and debating them away and fighting them away and, and, and discouraging them away and, and arguing them away, Maybe our mission, like Christ, should not be about fighting other humans, flesh and blood, but remembering that as, as, we, as we have been brought into his kingdom, we have been brought into a kingdom that rivals the kingdom of darkness. And in so 
becoming a member, a citizen of God's family and a member of that kingdom, we too join in the work of making sure that every person hears the greatest of news, not just, not just good news, but the greatest of news. And that is, whatever it is that deceives us, whatever it is that's got a hold on our hearts, whatever idol is working us over thoroughly, and keeping us from being all that we were meant to be when God created human beings, that that is being defeated and changed and crushed, and to use the biblical word, destroyed. Ben's going to lead us in a song right now, and we want to praise God. We want to praise God for the greatness of the gospel and what it means to be a part of His kingdom. And to know that it's not just, it's not just this one-time forgiveness of sin, but that the work of Satan in our hearts has been broken because of the love and the grace that comes to us from Christ Jesus, the love of God. We're also going to have some shepherds down here at the front. And if there's someone here this morning or a bunch of folk here this morning that, that just need help making sure that that happens in their life or wondering about how that can possibly happen in their life, then we want you to come down and talk to these shepherds as the rest of us stand and praise God together.